Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today we are talking with the patent professor, John Risby. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Yep, thank you, Roy. My pleasure. So, John, you're yeah, no, it's I'm I'm excited for our conversation today. It's not often we get too many authors on the side, and especially in the category that you work in, given that you're a two-time best-selling author on Amazon for patent law. Um, your books, Think and Grow Rich for Inventors, and your most recent one, Escaping the Gray. Really excited to kind of dive into your, you know, 20 plus years of experience in terms of helping clients start with nothing but an idea and, you know, take their invention all the way through to successfully launch their product and generate revenue and potentially license out their patents and their ideas. And I know a lot of the audience that we work with specifically really is going to, you know, find a lot of value out of this conversation. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into, you know, where where did this all start for you and what inspired you to become a patent attorney? Okay, well, um, I would my, my journey started early. I, I was uh, at 12. I was my, my dream and sole ambition in life was to to create a round Rubik's Cube. And uh, if, if you know what that is, it's that, that puzzle with, uh, you know, uh, I guess 16 squares and you try to get all the colors to match up. And then one day my mom took me to the mall and I, what I saw on the store shelf just crushed me. Like somebody already had a round Rubik's cube and they had a better name than round Rubik's cube. They called it the impossible. Uh, and I never, you know, so that's, I, I never did move forward with the round Rubik's cube, but I ended up becoming an engineer and eventually that led me to patent law. And I, I certainly, over the years, I, I, I never forgot that lesson of, of, of being second with an idea and, and how that feels for an inventor. So when you did that, um, after you know law school, you opened up your own practice or you started getting inquiries from other folks that were running into problems with getting their ideas out there? Yeah. So I, I started out my practice at, uh, you know, my, my dream was to work at the uh, law firm of Fish and Neve. Now, these are the lawyers that patented Thomas Edison's uh, light bulb, uh, Henry Ford's ideas, Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, this firm was basically to patents what Muhammad Ali is to, to boxing, like the greatest of all time. And when I got there, what was really disappointing for me, I mean, I was, I was working with the best patent attorneys in the world and uh, making more money than I had ever dreamed of. But it was five years that I was there and I had yet to have met with a single inventor. The clients of this firm of today, I mean, the gone were the days of the Wright brothers or Thomas Edison or Henry Ford. The clients today were huge multinational corporations like Exxon or, or, or Motorola. And all my entire days were spent with lawyers, just moving paper around uh, uh, in meeting after meeting with MBAs. 
And uh, just it was frustrating not to have once met with an inventor. And that's when I started my own practice. So I love one of the uh, the topics you have on your website in terms of the power of simple ideas and they can make you millions, you know, in terms of these simple ideas that revolutionize entire industries. And I recently just spent the, the weekend with Josh Malone, the creator of Bunch of Balloons. And, you know, that is such a simple innovation that's changed the world of, you know, water balloons and how they get made. So I'm really interested to, you know, hear about some of the inventors that have come to you over the years in terms of some of their product ideas and some of the pitfalls that inventors may fall into. Okay, yeah. Well, one of the, uh, a big myth that's out there is that if, if you see a patent attorney and even the term inventor, I mean, I, I like to use entrepreneurs more than inventor because the term inventor conjures up images of like, you know, like the crazy professor or the the guy in like Back to the Future and the flux capacitor is what people think of when they think inventor. They they think sometimes they need to have invented a, a the flux capacitor or a time machine or a cure for cancer. And nothing could be further from the truth. Some of the most uh, simplest ideas have uh, are incredibly successful. I mean, my on my firm's uh, uh, Facebook page, we just this past week, March 5th, was the birthday of the invention of the hula hoop, um, a patented product that essentially is is a round hoop that you can swing around your waist. Uh, this toy made over $45 million in profits. So it's not complexity. We have the, the coffee cup sleeve, which is uh, just this cardboard sleeve that you'll find around a cup of coffee at the, the you know finer coffee shops. Uh, this thing is has been licensed by uh, Jay Sorensen, the inventor, for over a million dollars in royalty payments uh, for 20 years. So there's there are simple everyday ideas that are not, you know, the the snuggie, the blanket with like holds for for your arms is another example. I mean, there's just so many. The uh, if you've ever been at a restaurant and you had to to hit the back of the ketchup bottle to get the ketchup out, you'll appreciate that now. There's a, a, a container by, you know, Heinz uses it as, and it's licensed to others as well with the label reversed so that when you store the ketchup, it's stored upside down. Uh, that's not rocket science. I mean, there's not, you don't need a PhD in, in product design to come up with some of these ideas, but they, they are, are simple, but they solve a, an everyday problem and a problem that's widespread. And that's what, that's the key. Speaking of sauces, I'm really excited down here in the South that Chick-fil-A is finally coming out with Polynesian sauce in a bottle that you can buy in a store. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, sometimes for ideas, it's just changing, you know, the, it, it's taking an old product and repackaging it in a different way. Some of the younger people might forget that well before the post-it note, you know, people would use a piece of paper and uh, a small piece of tape. So it's not, it's, it's just Sometimes it's that little additional convenience that makes all of the difference. I mean, today you wouldn't imagine doing that, but that was that was how things were done. Uh, the the a rubber seal on the bottom of a can of shaving cream so you don't get rust stains on your on your countertop. I mean, these are you know like real. They say necessity is the mother of invention. These are inventors that faced an issue themselves instead of assuming that it was just them they realize that they were onto something that if it's something that's bothering them, they very well might be millions of other potential customers out there that would be willing to pay for that solution. Absolutely. So 
Let's talk about the, the process then for these entrepreneurs that are coming up with new ideas. When do you typically like to start talking with them in terms of the process and how that will flow through and timing and cost around getting patents for their innovations? Okay, so the you know, and some some things have changed over time, and there are good aspects of that, and, and there are bad aspects. I I believe that this is now the golden age for inventors. I mean, when I became a patent attorney over twenty years ago, it was a completely different scene for inventors. There are no shows like Shark Tank on TV. I had to explain what I did uh, to family and friends, and inventors really didn't have a way to to bring their product to market directly. So they were forced to pitch directly to manufacturers. There was no Amazon, there's no eBay, there's no Kickstarter to raise funds. There's none of this existed. Uh, and this is, this is all good. So it is the golden age for inventors. Unfortunately, being able to make the prototype today is easier than it's ever been because you can easily find and source prototype manufacturers but it's a double-edged sword because a lot of inventors will jump to making the product for, as the first step. And the first step I recommend is let's find out if your idea is unique before you spend any time or money on making it. Because if it's not unique, you, you're essentially reinventing the wheel and you're going to spend a lot of time and money perhaps to find out that somebody else already owns rights to that. So that's that's the, the downside of of, of, of product commercialization today is it's so easy to go straight to the prototype stage. This used to not be the case. It used to be much more common for us to see inventors early in the process uh, speaking with a patent attorney before they, they went to product development. And that's that's the right approach. The other risk is uh, is the temptation to search online for your product is could be a, a, a huge pitfall because if you search it, in the wrong forums, you could be giving away your idea. I mean, there are marketing companies that track search terms. So if the search terms you use are reveal your idea, as an example I use in, in my book is, is the, the mythical glow-in-the-dark kite. If your idea is a kite that you can fly at night and it glows in the dark, you, if you type those search terms in, then you are essentially revealing the idea to others because they're that and and you don't have any protection you don't have the patent filed so that's the other downside of of today plus not to mention youtube i've seen clients come to my office inventors that uh have a new idea and i ask them for their prototype and they say they don't have it but they can show it to me on youtube and sometimes it's not it's not a password protected channel it's not private it's just publicly disclosed and the, the major change in the law in 2013 makes that a huge, huge pitfall because it used to be if you were first to invent, you would own rights to the idea. But in 2013, the U.S. patent law switched to a first-to-file system, which is the single biggest change in patent law in this century. It's First-to-file means if, if you don't file first, it really doesn't matter that you can show receipts or evidence of inventing first. You could lose out the rights to somebody else. Yeah, which I think is a is a huge shift that I don't think a lot of uh, inventors are aware of, and I think a lot of them, especially on the the Kickstarter side, that are launching campaigns and projects out there without patents in place, feel that that's you know the first advantage that they have of putting the product out there and showing, hey, this is my idea, this is my invention, and then if it gets you know taken from them that way, 
obviously the uh, the path to ownership rights uh, gets a whole lot longer. Right. And that's, you know, it's, it's one thing that, you know, the, the internet and I guess the shrinking world has made just in time manufacturing a reality. So you can kind of source and try to get sales prior to developing a huge inventory, but it's very risky to go one step further and, and look at almost what some would call just in time patent protection. There's no such thing. You have to file the patent, uh, prior to any public disclosure would be my recommendation because once you've publicly disclosed it, it's a race against time. Whoever gets that patent application in first is going to win. So in terms of the search, what resources could you recommend to our audience and listeners uh, to go to initially? I mean, is it USPTO and doing a search you know, query there or are there other resources that they can find online to safely search and see if their invention is you know out there or if it's a piece of it that they need to license from someone else where do they begin yeah so i mean it's it seems uh, uh counterintuitive but even in this day and age if you can find that specialty store i would absolutely start there first because there's zero risk of, of disclosure there so if your idea say has to do with a new camping related innovation or you would go to Bass Pro Shops, perhaps, and just check all of their inventory. If it's something relating to a hardware uh, item, perhaps go to Home Depot first, not the online store, the actual physical location. And if you don't find it there, uh, then the patent office database is the safest because uh, any of these commercial databases, such as Amazon, for example, they're, you know, Jeff Bezos would like uh, Amazon to be, and I think that's their slogan, the everything store. So they're not just books anymore. And if their marketing people see a lot of searches for something that they don't carry, that could trigger them. They've become manufacturers now. You can buy Amazon branded products. What's to stop them from launching a product uh, if they have sufficient search volume? So you, same thing with Google or, or Yahoo. Anytime you're doing searches online, you have those risks. But at the patent office database, there at least it's not a, a, a commercial enterprise that's in the process of selling products that may compete with you. At least at the patent office database, you can search by classification instead of keywords. So that there's a, a lot of security in that as well. So do you think, uh, you know, given the current uh, state of the globe uh, in terms of the coronavirus, is the patent office potentially seeing an increase in coronavirus type protection products to be, you know, that first mover advantage of just filing and then figuring it out after that? Well, I have, I have no doubt. Absolutely. And this is not, and then, you know, we have over time, if you recall when there's the issue of anthrax in, you know, powder being put in mailboxes, we had an inflow of, of uh, potential clients with solutions for that. So anytime something gets this kind of media coverage, it triggers, uh, uh, you know, a lot of inventors to start thinking along these these lines, and I'm sure right now the data is not there, but I'm sure a couple years from now, if you look at the spike in uh, patent applications, you'll absolutely see a spike uh, in, you know, proposed solutions for the coronavirus, and it might not be simply um, just medical type, uh, you know, cures. It may be new types of masks, for example. It might be a sanitizing wipe systems. It might include all kinds of mechanical, physical components that are not just for curing the uh, 
the patient or treating the patient, but more for prevention to stop the spread of the virus. So uh, that that you'll see anytime there's stuff in the news that's not that, that there there's this spike. After 9-11, there was an absolute spike in patents relating to uh, building evacuation systems. So, so ways for people who are on the, the 30th floor of a high rise to quickly uh, get down to the ground level safely without, if they can't take the elevator or stairs. So that, that you'll find that's historically there's been spikes. Anytime something has gotten major media coverage, the type that the coronavirus is getting these days. Can you give me a rough idea of, you know, a timeline for inventors, you know, if they're submitting their patent process with you, you know, what does that timeline look like and what's, you know, a rough estimate of cost for them to get, you know, a patent approved here in the United States? So the the first step is what is the patent search and I like to refer to that as the x-ray. So if you're going to see a, a surgeon for an important operation, the first thing he would do of course, is do an x-ray to find out if you're a good candidate. So for the a patent attorney, the patent search is like an x-ray would be for a doctor. That stage takes about five to seven days. So uh, in about five to seven days after our meeting, and most of these meetings, by the way, are, are online through video conference calls. So you no longer even have to physically leave your house to get a, a con- consultation with a patent attorney. So five to seven days after we start our research, we're able to advise an inventor or entrepreneur whether their idea is unique enough. Now, if it is unique, the next step is to, then the race against time starts to get that patent application in as soon as possible. So depending on the complexity, that could be anywhere from four weeks to about 12 weeks to file. Once you're filed, you are patent pending and you no longer have to keep your idea confidential. So once you're patent pending, you've essentially saved your place in line. And at that, pl- at that point, you can start marketing, you can start sales. Uh, that's the right time if you were going to do a Kickstarter campaign or, or any kind of crowdfunding campaign, you, ha- you need to wait until you're patent pending. And then once you're patent pending, then, then you have a green light to start all of that even before the patent is granted. So a lot of inventors don't realize that. They they hear that it takes, and it's true, it can take two to three years to get the patent, but by no means does that mean that you have to sit around for two to three years and wait for the patent to be issued. Once you save your place in line, all systems should be go. You start your sales, start marketing, speak to investors, start crowdfunding. All of that starts uh, about four to 12 weeks after you first meet with a patent attorney. Nice. So given that you've seen so many different entrepreneurs and inventors come through your doors, what's the number one tip, you know, that you could offer to any of these aspiring inventors? Yeah, well, the, the, a lot of times, and, and I think it's, it's more not so much a tip of what to do, it's what not to do. And that is to not discount yourself because you're in a, because you, you don't fit this perfect mold of what you think an inventor in that industry should be. And uh, so if, you know, perhaps you haven't gone to the right schools or you don't have the right education or, or a background in the industry, you might be an outsider to the industry, but you can't let that prevent you from thinking that you could change the industry. The, the Wright brothers, after all, were, th- there was no airline industry. They were, they were bicycle mechanics and uh, neither one of whom even 
went to college, uh, only one of the Wright brothers even finished high school. They had no investors uh, and they were in Dayton, Ohio, but they absolutely you know, changed the, the, the face of, of transportation with their idea of, of human powered flight. Now, this concept is what one that I've in, captured in my book, Escaping the Gray. And it comes from President Theodore Roosevelt, who refers to this gray twilight uh, that's the comfort zone that people are afraid to step out of. And uh, the world is going to keep you in your comfort zone if, if you let them. Oprah Winfrey was told that, you know, she's too ugly for television and should stick to the radio. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for not having enough imagination. The temptation the, and the ease with which you can get feedback on your concept today is also another double-edged sword. It's very easy to get feedback, but you have to be extremely careful about who you approach, not only because you might lose rights uh, and they might file the patent first, but you might have well-meaning friends and family that have you questioning yourself on whether you're the right person to have uh, brought an idea to market. I mean, years before the invention of the pop-top soda can, uh, we had these tabs that had to be pulled out. Now, that entire industry was changed by someone who's not even was not even in the, the uh, beverage bottling industry at all. And we see this over and over again, industries being changed by, by people that are outside the industry. So that would be, that's, that I think is the biggest tip. And that's one thing that my entire book, Escaping the Gray, that's the focus of that. And I, I point out several ideas that might never have, have gone to market had the inventor questioned whether he was the right one to bring it forward. Interesting. Yeah, they told me I had a face for radio, so that's why I'm podcasting. <laughs> well, listen, John, this is really exciting. This is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Perfect. Yep. So what inspired you to work with entrepreneurs? Yeah, so I wanted to work with the decision makers. I didn't want the, uh, you know, I, I wanted the spark of ingenuity of the person with the vision, with the idea. Once a company gets to a certain size, that aspect is lost. And then I'm working with lawyers and MBAs, uh, and that's not what inspired me to become a patent attorney in the first place. I, I think even though you know I'm pushing 50 now, somewhere inside me is still that 12-year-old that wanted to invent the round Rubik's Cube. And I think working with entrepreneurs and, and small startups, I mean, I'd, my preferred clients have the entire company may have no more than a half dozen people in the company that to me is is a kind of adrenaline rush that i can't get anywhere else so if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history who would it be yeah well i would i, I would actually like i would say the wright brothers i mean to it, it's easy today for people to say they believe in their idea but to put yourself into a device that's untested doesn't exist and have you basically thrown through the air on a, uh, a tube of sorts, like that kind of confidence, um, I, I think I find inspiring. What would have been your first question for the Wright brothers? Yeah, well, I would, I would have asked, you know, why them? I'm, I'm just curious, like what, what in the world would make them think that they would be the ones to develop the, the airplane? I mean, they, they absolutely, you can't think of one factor that's in their favor uh, objectively. And today with a lot of startups, you have investors talking about, well, show us your management team. And they're looking for letters after 
a name. They're looking for credentials. They're looking for resumes. These these guys had they had none of that. They had no investors. They had nothing. So what? You know, I mean, it, that would be the question. Like, what? Why you? Because sure. that, that, that's a question that's timeless. Even today with an inventor, like why them? Why Jeff Bezos when he's, you know, Amazon lost money for 14 years before ever turning a profit. Uh, you know, of course, that's not going back in time. But what, you know, where did you get this level of confidence that it's going, that it's just a matter of time before uh, you turn the corner and the profits start coming in? What would, why was why did they not give up in year two, three, four, six? Uh, that's that to me is is inspiring, and I and I still find that in in inventors today. I mean, some of my I had a, one client that sold his uh, idea to Medtronics for a hundred million dollars. Now this was a, uh, a a medical a, a person who was in medical school, and he dropped out of medical school to pursue this idea for a surgical lens defogger. And it's inspiring, like how, I mean, here he is pitching an idea to doctors uh, that ridiculed him for not having done a residency, not having finished medical school. And his product today has been used in over a million surgeries and basically has changed the way that surgical surgeries are done and cameras are cleaned in the operating room throughout the world. So that's, that, that is the same, you know, that's not any different than what the Wright brothers did, you know, over a century ago. So... Outside of your two best-selling books, what other book might you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, uh, gosh, I mean, this, uh, oh, that's, I mean, that's, I, I would still see, even though one of my books is Think and Grow Rich for Inventors, I still believe that Napoleon Hill's th- original Think and Grow Rich is, is, is a timeless classic that all inventors should read. Now, what my book has done is brought a lot of the, uh, the doctrines and tied them specifically to inventors. But pretty soon an inventor's company grows from inventor into an entrepreneur and becomes a business. And some of the other things that I don't talk about in my book, I think are very relevant. So I would say Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill should be should be read by all inventors as well. All right, last question. And I know we didn't talk about crowdfunding and Kickstarter and Indiegogo too, too much, but I'm interested to see your take on what the future of crowdfunding looks like. Yeah. Oh, it's incredibly bright. I mean, I think that's uh, the the democratization of investment. So you no longer have to have at one point in time, it was, you know, the importance of being connected to the right people and having the right introductions made. Uh, the beauty of a Kickstarter campaign is it's your idea uh, is really evaluated on merit. So now you have, uh, uh, you know, people basically voting with dollars on the idea. And it's it's something that would not have been possible without the Internet. But now uh, with the Internet, the ability to reach that many potential investors without spending a ton of money shipping prototypes all over the country or uh, doing, you know, time consuming one-on-one consults, you simply create a video, create a, a sell sheet, and you put that online on this forum. It's only going to increase over time. I'd be surprised if the, the amount of funding doesn't double in the next five years through uh, online crowdfunding platforms like those. Absolutely. Well, John, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go and why they should check you out. Okay, well, I, uh, you know, as a patent attorney, 
I mean, you know, patent law is considered one of the most complex and confusing areas of law. I think what sets me apart is I've been an adjunct professor teaching patent law for, for over 20 years. And in this process, I've learned to simplify the complex doctrines of patents that entrepreneurs need to know. And I've created on my YouTube channel over 40 videos that are animated cartoons explaining difficult patenting concepts in plain English. Uh, and I, so I think that's, that's a key. Any, any inventor that wants to go to YouTube and do a search for the patent professor will find my video se- educational video series. In addition to that, uh, I'd like to offer a copy of Escaping the Gray to uh, any of your listeners that if they want to contact you, and um, and you can put them, you know, we'll work with you to get you copies. So I'd be happy to send copies out to anyone that's interested. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. Audience, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to everything patent professor related. Uh, and of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. John, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Perfect. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.